the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed, and good afternoon to you. Five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on your basic Thursday afternoon for the 25th of July, and welcome again to another edition of Lifeline. We're, of course, here each Monday through Friday addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Pretty jam-packed program for you today. Coming up a little bit later on in this first hour, we're going to talk with constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus concerning an important victory in First Amendment rights and freedom of speech rights regarding the case of a Riverside Community College District school instructor and what had been an attempt to try and essentially muzzle him from expressing his constitutionally protected freedom of speech. We'll find out what happened and why it's important coming up a little bit later on. Also, the District Attorney for San Mateo County, Stephen Wagstaff, will join us. There has been an alarming increase in workers' compensation fraud, and it really impacts all of us because it goes to the bottom line of each and every small business owner here in the state of California. And it not only, through fraudulent means, costs workers business owners, but ultimately costs even people who are legitimately trying to put in legitimate claims for workers' compensation. There's going to be a special symposium on this very topic coming up tomorrow in Redwood City. We'll tell you more about that when DA Stephen Wegstaff from San Mateo County joins us on the program. I want to lead first off tonight with um, a story that's capturing some news And it suggests perhaps a bit of a pulling back of the curtain on Planned Parenthood. Now, we had a bit of a glimpse in terms of the agenda several years ago when we discovered that Planned Parenthood had been secretly and aggressively attempting to engage in the trade, the sale of baby body parts for economic profit. That certainly was an aha gotcha moment for Planned Parenthood. Another one seems to be out of a very innocuous event, and that is a recent decision by the board of directors of Planned Parenthood to terminate the services of its relatively new president, Leanna Wen. Now, Leanna Wen, of course, came in as a replacement for Cecile Richards, who had been at the helm of Planned Parenthood for many, many years and made the organization extremely more profitable. Now, we know that there is a bit of a sense of confusion over exactly what are they. This is a a health services organization, a family planning organization, a political action organization. Well, the answer is yes to all of the above and none of the above. But one thing it is, it's a major 
printing press last year, 2018, drew in $1.67 billion. That's a lot of money for an outfit that doesn't collect insurance money and is just supposedly out there for the benefit of serving families. Let's find out what led to this sudden dismissal of Leanna Wen on what has been termed philosophical differences as we're joined by Brian Johnston. Brian, of course, is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. And Brian, you and I have been kicking about the topic of Planned Parenthood and what they really are and what they really stand for for many, many years now. But it seems as if this fairly innocuous dismissal of its recently appointed president, been in the seat for less than a year, kind of pulls back further the curtain on what the real agenda is here in Planned Parenthood. Tell us more. Well, Craig, I think you're, you're exactly right. One of the things that we saw was that with the retirement of Cecile Richards, and by the way, you need to know that Cecile Richards was the daughter of Ann Richards, and some old-timers may remember that when George Bush, George H.W. Bush ran, Cecile Richards was the governor of Texas that attacked him, the Democrat governor of Texas, of course, pro-abortion. She's the lady that said that he was born with a silver foot in his mouth. Remember Ann Richards? Ann Richards, yes, indeed, former governor of Texas. Yeah. Yeah, so Cecile Richards was actually her daughter. And the reason that that's significant is because Planned Parenthood is, first and foremost, a political operation. And you pointed out why. And it's what we see a lot in in government circles. There's a lot of money to be taken from the federal government in particular, but then from state governments. That's the case in California as well. And Planned Parenthood, I think years ago I was at the headquarters in London. I don't, I didn't do a remote from there with you, but I'd tell you about it later. See, Planned Parenthood is an international, you might say a transnational entity. It's based, International Planned Parenthood is based in London, but what it does is it sends it's, it's uh, tentacles, you might say, throughout the world. They tell their followers to go into countries and then into the various provinces or states and then to the counties and even to the cities and attach yourself to that government. Why? Because government is where the money is. And they have made it a point to get government money. Now, back to what they really do, as you know, they're the world's largest owner of abortion clinics. And what they'll often do in order to justify getting government money, they will frame themselves as providing services for women. That's what they do. Health services for women. Yes, that's what it is. And I think of John Lovett. Does he remember he used to come up with, oh, yes, yes, that's right. Yes, it's health care. That's what we're providing because they're looking for that government money. So Cecile Richards, who for many years was the the director and, again, a political operative, essentially, uh, they wanted to kind of clean that up, and they brought in, just eight months ago, uh, Dr. Wynn, because they wanted to emphasize the health care aspect. She's an MD, and obviously she was supportive of abortion, but she actually believed some of their rhetoric that, well, 
you really want to talk about health care, don't you? And, and I think you it's important to, to note here, Brian, that, that, that promoting this sort of uh, face of Planned Parenthood as health care-centric not only attempts to give the organization a, a sense of um, uh, respectability, but it's also great cover to hide behind. You'll recall when the news got out, and I referred to it in my opening remarks, that they had been engaging in the wholesale uh, harvesting and sale of baby body parts – and when that was brought to the forefront, they tried to pivot, change the subject, and say, no, wait a minute, you got that all wrong. Abortions are not a big part of what we do. No, we're more about providing general health care services, things like um, breast cancer education and awareness and mammograms, and then to find out that there actually wasn't a single mammogram machine across the totality of Planned Parenthood, that what they actually did was refer for mammograms, meaning they don't really prepare women or provide women with uh, the tools necessary for early breast cancer detection. It's just something that they quote-unquote refer to. Well, I guess I can refer you to my dentist and say I'm in dental care. In their mind, that was the same thing. It gave them a sense of, of cover and and a sense of legitimacy, I suppose. That's right. And again, they need that because they get most of their money from government. Now, they'll say, no, the federal government only gives us so many hundred million. But as I said, Government is multi-leveled, not only throughout the world, but here in the U.S. And I, I believe I got on with you, Greg, again. This is two years ago. A reporter called me regarding the Sacramento City Council. Every city council member had their personal, for their district, a personal slush fund. And that was ostensibly to help people in the district what some organization in the district. And it was the only city council money that was not publicly budgeted. It was a personal budget. But finally it came out, and this reporter called me said, hey, I don't know if you know, but there's only one organization that's common to every city council member and the mayor, Planned Parenthood. <laughs> this was actually a secret fund on the city council level. Now remember, we have towns and cities, we have counties, we have states, and then we have the federal government. There's a lot of government money available if you can sell your ideology to those people in government. And that's what Planned Parenthood has been doing. So when Dr. Wen said, well, I really want to push, I'm a doctor, I want to push health care, and she did not even know. She did not even know that the meeting was taking place. The board of directors of Planned Parenthood met in secret and gave her a notice. Eight months. She had been in place Wow. So there wasn't even a, and I appreciate this point of clarification, because there hasn't been much about this angle in the news. This isn't one even might be considered a case where the board came together and said, look, we know that you're new here. We're providing you some guidance, the direction that we wish to go in. We wish to provide some corrective information here for you so you can kind of get in lockstep with the, the tone, the direction that has been established by the board. There, there wasn't even that. This was simply, nope, she 
he's taking us in a direction we don't want to go. And and clearly, as we've seen a number of the victories, for example, not only at, at the state level with a number of more restrictive laws now in place concerning abortion, but then, of course, the most recent appointments by President Trump to the U.S. Supreme Court. As, as they see sort of the handwriting on the wall, it appears as if essentially what the leadership of Planned Parenthood is doing is really doubling down then on the notion that we're not a national health care organization, though we'll claim that moniker when it suits us or when it's convenient, when it's convenient cover. What we really are is an organization based solely on the financial benefits of abortion. Yes, and now this is the important thing. I do want to make a minor correction, Craig. None of those laws that have been passed are in place. Every one of those state laws that have been passed recently that get a lot of the media attention, every one of them are being challenged. Every one of them must go up through the legal system and will eventually have to be determined by the high court. The high court likely is not going to take up those particular bills because of their nature. So this, the reality is that while it may seem like, in one sense, we're getting victories, and indeed it's great that legislatures are willing to to pass such measures and that governors will sign them, they don't go into effect because of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. Again, without wearing things out, people need to understand it's Doe v. Bolton, the companion decision that basically authorizes abortion on demand for any reason or any, any reason that the physician can come up with. That's what Doe v. Bolton authorized with Roe. That is the law of the land. And until Roe is overturned, those wonderful pieces of legislation won't be enacted. So this is where it's leading to the Supreme Court. And we know that the Supreme Court is everything. We know this next election is critically important. That's why they're pulling out the stops. If President Trump is reelected and he gets to a point now, the replacements for the next justices to retire, Roe is going to go down and it's going to, it's going to hit then because one of those laws will eventually be upheld and states will be permitted to protect babies. Right now, Roe does not recognize that baby as having any rights. And we want to make sure that people are ready. Well, this explains then why we've seen uh, so much of sort of a, a ground zero fight being waged in um, the state of Missouri, for example, and perhaps also um, explanatory as to why uh, not a pivoting here. And let's be clear about this. It's not as if th- this, this line will never uh, change its stripes. But what we're seeing, rather, is a doubling down on the so-called abortion rights advocacy because Planned Parenthood is beginning to see the proverbial handwriting on the wall. And if they are characterizing themselves and promoting themselves as singularly a, quote, national health care organization, that is going to be problematic. We know that the now recently retired or fired um, president uh, wanted to be a advocate for a broad range of public health policies. And yet uh, that notion, of course, has been soundly rejected by the board of directors. Let's pause for a moment. I want to pick up the conversation on the other side of the break and uh, talk a bit about what we see as potentially happening here as next steps for 
Planned Parenthood. We know that there is a, a temporary president in place as they are now going about a talent search. And, um, you know, m- maybe what's being suggested here, what's being transmitted here by Planned Parenthood is an organization that is really at the core fundamentally frightened of where things might go. We're visiting with Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. We'll take a brief time out, get you updated on traffic, back with more. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, is with us. We're talking about the recent dismissal of now former head of Planned Parenthood, Dr. Leanna Wen, who had replaced Cecile Richards after she had retired from many years at the helm of Planned Parenthood. Um, she's essentially been removed from her post because she was trying to promote the organization as one that was involved in national health care and an advocate for a broad range of public health policies, quote-unquote, when in fact with this dismissal, the leadership of Planned Parenthood is doubling down on what is essentially and singularly abortion rights advocacy. And I guess at the end of the day here, um, Brian, when you see an organization bringing in $1.67 trillion and over uh, nearly uh, well over a third of that, half a billion dollars in government funding, this really comes down to Planned Parenthood scrambling to position itself to do all that it can to help protect what's really its big moneymaker, and that is abortion performance, abortion services. Yes, and that's what was founded. Again, you have to go to the roots. Margaret Sanger, we won't spend a lot of time on her right now. We have in the past. But unless you realize Margaret Sanger was eugenicist, this uh, race is a big topic right now, particularly in, in Democrat circles. But ironically, it's been historically the Democrat Party. That was the party of both slavery and of racism and the Jim Crow laws, and in particular, eugenics. And Margaret Sanger was the American leader, one of the American leaders of eugenics, and literally that's the reason she started Planned Parenthood, to get rid of certain people in particular. So it's a very tragic story. Right now, uh, just to segue a little bit, Craig, but I think that, that a lot of people know with those laws that were passed, particularly the heartbeat bill in Georgia, Hollywood stepped up. As you know, Hollywood feels an obligation to protect the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. And uh, unlimited abortion, choice abortion, is is their watchword. And they're boycotting Georgia because Georgia has become a, a uh, also a movie industry state. There's a lot to be said there. But they know that wholesome movies are being produced in Georgia as well. And this is significant, and, and it's one of the reasons we know that the cultural messaging that comes out of Hollywood that brings a lot of, of foregone conclusions. That's one, a lot of the reasons your neighbors might say, well, I'm pro-choice, is really because of what the, the television, newspapers, and particularly the movies communicate. And they don't want to lose that. But that's the reason we started years ago the Life Fest Film Festival in Hollywood. We know a lot of people in Hollywood. I, I as an avocation, have worked with folks in film. And this has been a very significant film festival, and, and our most recent winner of the Best Picture, what we call the Capra Award, was 
unplanned. And I was yesterday down in Burbank with the producer-directors, Chuck Konzelman and Carrie Solomon, and spending some time with them, uh, gave them, they weren't able to be at our last ceremony, so gave them their award, and they were deeply appreciative. And they told me some of the stories happening. Again, this is directly related to Planned Parenthood because I don't think there's been any other program, and I have seen videos on Planned Parenthood, I've read books on Planned Parenthood, but I don't think there's been any other tool of communication better than unplanned and really exposing Planned Parenthood. And I, if you, did you get a chance to see it, Greg? You know, I have not yet, but I'm eager to do so. I would strongly recommend it. And the reason is that, and the reason I'm excited about films, period, we love stories. And a lot of times, if you see a documentary, well, it's kind of, a, well, it's like a lecture. This is information. Or if you read a book, this is information. But it's really the storytelling nature of film and the storytelling aspect of our human condition. And that's, that's why Jesus used parables. Telling stories brings so much more. And this is a true story, as you know, of Abby Johnson, who worked, and she was actually a Christian at the time, and she worked for Planned Parenthood, because she didn't understand. And it's her transition, her eyes being open to what was really happening, to what it really meant to be taking a human life. And when you see it dawn on her, it's, it is so powerful. And listeners, of course, uh, going back a number of months ago, will recall our conversations with Abby. I think she was on last with us around uh, um, January during the Sanctity of Human Life Month and uh, also in the fall of last year. So her story, a compelling one, if you're aware of it. If not, uh, checking out that film, Unplanned, uh, certainly well worth your while. And uh, I'm going to hopefully join you in that list of uh, of uh, film viewers. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, for that update. It's going to be fascinating as we um, see us moving headfirst into a very strong political cycle here. You think, can it get stronger than this? Well, I suppose so. As we move into the election season in uh, 2020, primaries, of course, will be uh, in earnest underway come the first of next year into the general election last November. And uh, this is going to be one of the key issues that will lead people or drive people to the polls. And Planned Parenthood, aware of that, is gearing up because they are cognizant of the fact that presenting themselves singularly as a national health care organization uh, may not drive necessarily their constituents, uh, constituents out to vote. But to couch the argument and what they're doing as one that is political in nature, that is a constitutional a choice or, or a rights issue, and that that somehow is at risk here – will do a better job towards engendering their constituency to get out the vote. So this is not by accident. This is, as Brian Johnston suggested, not only in keeping with the historical roots and vision of the organization, but also making sure that it has a great sense of self-preservation by couching this in terms of a rights issue and not necessarily a 
health care issue. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. More updates available on the web at nrlc.org. That's nrlc.org. 5.32, the clock tells us. Let's see what traffic tells us on your Thursday ride home. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back in earnest here on the Thursday edition of Lifeline. Let's uh, let's pivot to another point, shall we? We have long talked about what has happened at university level and collegiate level education in our country over the last generation or two, and we know that there has been a slow, steady liberal march. And that sense of sort of institutionalized liberalism is such that it is trumping, um, trampling rather, on our First Amendment rights. So that if somebody working in the public classroom as a teacher, tenure or not, happens to Expouse a view, voice an opinion that runs contrarian to the the liberal stream of consciousness that runs consistently through most higher education in our country today. Uh, they're warned: you'd better get in line. You better, at the very least, keep your mouth shut. And if you fail to do so, tenured or not, you're likely going to be shown the door. Well, that happened to Professor Eric Thompson at Moreno Valley College. Um, he's taught there for a number of years, going back to 2005, and um, apparently in some of his sociology courses, uh, classes, he um, he defended issues concerning, uh, for example, uh, historical viewpoints on marriage or uh, gender identity, things of this sort. Um, well, in 2014, somebody took a complaint to the dean's office, and constitutional lawyer and the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, picks up the story from there. And, Counselor, they went in and complained um, regarding some of the views expressed by Professor Thompson. What happened after that? Yeah, he provided both perspectives on uh, regarding marriage, same-sex marriage, and the, and the issue was pending before the United States Supreme Court at the time, so it was very relevant to his sociology course. Uh, yet they told him they did an investigation. There were three different investigations that took place. They didn't find him doing anything wrong explicitly, but the diversity committee uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the college um, nonetheless recommended him to be fired, and he was fired. Uh, their opinion was, you know, he gave both perspectives, encouraged critical thinking back and forth, and they said, oh, no, on this topic there's only one way of thinking and only one way of teaching, and you uh, violated that. So, so they, wait a minute. So we're not talking about an environment then where children are taught how to think, how to engage in, in critical thought, um, examine all the facts, 
and then based on on history, um, moral uh, directives, things of this sort, to sort of draw their own conclusion, essentially teaching kids how to think. What you're suggesting is this is a case where the leadership of that school district said, no, 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 no. In this, in certain subjects, you're going to teach them not how to think, but what to think. It's almost indoctrination then. Absolutely. And they were so resolute in their indoctrination, they were willing to fire a professor, Craig, that two years had received the Faculty of the Year Award from their peers, from his peers, and was uh, tenured uh, to boot. So uh, he was he was fired, and uh, he had no place to go to represent him but the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, we agreed to, to step in. We represented him, and uh, we won uh, before the arbitration panel, two-week panel uh, hearing, and uh, like a trial. And uh, he got his, his job back, but the, the college decided to appeal it. So they appealed the arbitration decision, and then we won again. Uh, and he was awarded to have his job back. And now it looks like, Craig, it looks like they're going to be appealing it again. <laughs> and when my, our attorney, Michael Pepper, asked him, you know, he said, going out, he said, well, I guess this is over now. He said, oh, no. No, no, we're going to probably we're going to appeal this. I think he said they were going to appeal it again. Not probably. They're going to appeal it again. He said, "Well, why?" He says, "Everything's in motion." He goes, "Well, uh, in the classroom, it's reported that he told the students um, that he was married and had two kids, and his wife was at home with the kids, and and, um, and he, they said because he revealed his traditional marriage and family um, that was demeaning and uh, insensitive to people from different." families and relationships. Well, the truth is, if he had said, I have a gay partner, and he's at home, or whatever, they would have applauded him. But because he said he had a wife and two kids at home, then there's no room for that, and and that's also grounds for termination. You know, what's troubling here is the fact that this nation, in, in its very founding, uh, was based on the notion that we as Americans could come together, we could engage in an exchange of thoughts and ideas, um, and and essentially, you know, wrestle each other, and then draw to a conclusion, work out a compromise, come to some sense of agreement. I mean, th- these are sort of the foundational principles about how, how Congress itself was created and how our founding fathers intended for our nation to be run. Uh, to to suggest that there is a singular viewpoint, a singular opinion above all others, and everybody else therefore must be silenced because they dare express an opinion or a thought or an idea or at least drop into the conversation for potential dialogue, debate, or consideration a idea that seems to be countering to what is the agenda du jour – uh, really suggests an attempt to try and undermine the very underpinnings of the premises, the functionality, so to speak, upon which our nation was built. Yes, and, and our university system as well. I mean, public universities are for the open marketplace of ideas. Uh, that's why taxpayers fund them. It's, it's, that's why we have forensic classes or debate classes. You know, we we get them together and say, let's let's talk both. Let's talk this thing out. This is really what's allowed our country to not only to to survive but to thrive because we've engaged in this kind of debate. And to suggest that we don't want anybody to opin- to a voice opinion that might just potentially melt a snowflake. Wow. Yeah, and that's that is the resolve of the Marino. Uh, Valley Community College uh, in uh, Southern California, Riverside County, and 
we have Pacific Justice Institute. We're going to represent this this professor. Uh, continue to represent him on appeal if they come say that that's what they're going to do. It looks like that's what they're going to do is, a, is appeal it, and um, and uh, we'll take this all the Supreme Court if necessary. It's, it's that important that we protect against this kind of purging in our universities and college campuses across the country. Well, we appreciate uh, the due diligence in providing that service to uh, protect uh, his rights because, let's face it, uh, these, this is really an erosion of all of our rights. And most frighteningly is the frighteningly is the the direction that this seems to be headed in in terms of what's being taught to our kids. And uh, you know, we we as a people, we reach the juncture where we can't dialogue, we can't debate, um, we can't engage in iron sharpening iron, as scripture says. Scripture says. Uh, then, you know, it, it's as if the, the, the it's certainly from the political process standpoint, uh, the final epitaph is, is, is being written, and it's, uh, it's sad. Well, we appreciate the, uh, the update, uh, Brad Dacus, and also appreciate, by the way, the fact that you respond to your own email. I, I like that. <laughs> Wasn't sure where that exchange was going to go. I thought, well, there's probably just a, a, a bot on the other side of this. So <laughs> good to hear from you today, and uh, always good to know that Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute is there for you and for me and for people of faith. Want to find out more? Want to get behind them? Go online to pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And there's constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Brad, thanks for that update. 545, the clock tells me. Let's swing over to the KFAX Traffic Center to get you updated now on the Thursday ride home. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.